Hi, everyone. You are listening to Start Inspired. I am your host, Samantha March. This is my podcast designed to give you a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation, helping you start inspired and stay inspired. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to a new episode of Start Inspired. I am so excited to be back for the final episode of season four, just of season four. I will be taking a little bit of a hiatus before I come back for season five. So final episode here, I do have a guest on today and I'm really excited to share my interview with a new author. Uh, So yeah, I just wanted to say that this is the final episode of season four. I don't have a date yet where I will be back for season five, but if you happen to keep up with me on other social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, um, I have recently moved. So I've recently moved from Iowa out to Las Vegas. Uh, I am also going through a divorce. So there's just a lot of things happening right now in my life. Um, So I'm planning to take probably at least a month off before I uh, come back for the podcast, but I will be announcing the date that I'll be back on those other social platforms. So I do always have them linked in the show notes, but I'm just Samantha March on YouTube. March Beauty Word on Instagram and then by Samantha March on TikTok and also Twitter. So wanted to share that and uh, let's go ahead and just jump into the guest conversation that I have today. So today I am bringing on author Georgia Clark and I was really excited to talk to her because I read her novel that has just released, which is called It Had to Be You and it was so good. It was so good. I'm, of course, going to have all of George's information and the book information in the show notes, but I was really excited to talk to her about how she put this book together and everything that she wanted to get out there with this story, which I found so, so good. So I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with Georgia. We, of course, talk about her journey into publishing, which I know a lot of you like to hear. And then, of course, specifically why she wanted to write this book amongst the others that she has written. So to jump into it, Georgia Clark wrote the novels The Regulars, The Bucket List, and others. She's the host and founder of the popular storytelling night Generation Women. A native Australian, she lives in Brooklyn with her hot wife and fridge full of cheese. And here is my conversation with author Georgia Clark. All right. Hello, Georgia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Samantha. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to to chat with you. And before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. My name is Georgia Clark. I'm a novelist. I'm Australian and the author of It Had to Be You and a few other books, And I'm also the founder and host of a storytelling series called Generation Women, where we invite a woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s to tell an original story on a theme. That is amazing. I I love that. So let's start off with, um, you know, usually I kind of ask authors how they got started or why they got started, but I read on your website that you never really decided to become a writer. You just were always writing. So I'll ask, when did you realize being a writer could be your career? Such a good question. And in so many ways, and I'm sure anyone who is in a passion-driven career can relate to this, it wasn't about realizing writing could be my career, then realizing it already was my career and how do I make enough money and have enough security to get by? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, my 20s were a very passionate, idealistic, ideas-driven time. I wanted to make art and tell stories, but I wasn't really focused on making money and and doing smart things like buying real estate, which some <laughs> of my friends were starting to do around me in my mid-20s, and it was just so far away from where I was at and what my priorities were. I wanted to travel and I wanted to have adventures and and be a storyteller. And in my 20s, I went to school for screenwriting and filmmaking. So my my goal, my passion was to be a screenwriter or filmmaker. And as well, I was working as a writer. I was working as a magazine editor or a freelance writer or sort of um, in some new tech spaces. And it was Sydney in my in my 20s, which was uh, like a decade ago, was actually kind of cheap and fun and easy to live cheaply. It's different now. Mm-hmm. But, so I wasn't really uh, focused on sort of the career aspect of it. I was more in the exploratory phase uh, and, and having fun and making mistakes and, you know, falling in love with all the wrong people, which is what you do in your 20s. <laughs> I moved to New York in 2009 uh, in March, which was the height of the financial uh, crash. Great. Yeah. I had no visa, no place to live, no friends. Um, if you're thinking no plan, you are correct. And I, my plan was to move to New York for like a three-month period and work on a screenplay. And cut to 13 years later, I'm still here. But in the initial plan of that, of, of, of it all, I realized early on that it would be really difficult to write and sell a screenplay. There was a lot of competition, so much more competition than there was in my little tiny home country of Australia. And I'd already published a YA in my late 20s, very small, sweet YA, and realized it would be I could pivot into novels and that novels would satisfy my urge to tell stories. And it was sort of an interesting pivot to make because I think in life, we have very set understandings of what our goals are, like what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting thing to realize you can get those same goals, meet those same needs by shifting your frame a little bit. And for me, it was from being a filmmaker into being a novelist because it was honestly, it was just cheaper to write novels. It was practically easier. Mm -hmm. I had made films and they involve a lot of people, a lot of money, a lot of asking for favors, a lot of time, a lot of energy. And novels, it's just sort of you in your own magical headspace. Um, but I was a very broke writer in New York for many years. I wrote a book that didn't sell. I wrote a book that did sell for a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of money and had my sort of aha, come to Jesus moment in my early 30s where I realized I need to write a book that sells. I can't keep operating it the way I'm operating as an adult. And so with the book that ended up becoming my first book with Simon and Schuster, I went into the whole process of it with a much clearer intention than I'd had previously. I wanted to sell it for a decent amount of money. I wanted to sell it to one of the big five publishers, you know, which is Simon and Schuster is one of them. I wanted to have a real publishing experience and I needed to, I didn't just want that because it sounded nice. I needed Mm -hmm. to, because I needed to make money as a, a working creative. So Around that early 30s time was when I sort of changed my game plan and became a bit more, even more serious about just the financial side of things. I mean, still, you know, as a writer, I don't have the 
security and the, you know, I'm not making as much money as other people, but I'm happy and, um, and, and excited about you know, the book I have coming out and the stage that my career is at now. Yeah. Uh, you said so many interesting things there and that all sounds like such a fascinating journey also, by the way. But one thing that you said about, you know, deciding that you needed to pivot and while you still had these certain goals, you could still achieve them, but just doing them in a different way. And I find that really interesting because I'm in my, I'm in my thirties. Um, I'll be 34 actually in a few, uh, next week I will be, well, okay. That just freaked me out a little bit. I'll be 34. (laughs) Um, next week at the time we're recording this, this isn't going to come out for a hot minute, but you just, just imagine the look of fear that all of a sudden came on my face. Um, what is birthdays during COVID? I, I think I like just keep forgetting. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when I was growing up and listening to stories of my mom and my grandparents, it was kind of like you chose what you were going to do. And then you did that one thing forever. And we kind of live a life now where we can make different decisions when it comes to our career and we can try different things. And there's not this, um, I, I feel like there's less of a pressure to once you find a career when you're 20, like that's it for you. You do that until you retire. Um, but so I thought it was even more interesting when you said you can still do the the same thing that you want to do, but maybe you just need to do it in a different way. And I think that can really open up just so many different choices for people. So, uh, I really enjoyed that. You said that I found that to be really interesting. Um, and then even when you talked about in your thirties, you know, coming up with a, a new game plan because you wanted to be more secure and um, actually make money as a working creative. That's something I find very interesting also, because as someone who's also a creative, I'm a writer myself. I do like YouTube uh, full time also. And there's like this weird, I don't, I don't even want to say pressure, but there's like this weird assumption that if you're a creative, you like should be poor because you should just love what you do and you shouldn't make any money from it. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> what why? <laughs> why yeah. can't we also make money doing what we love? <laughs> money is such a minefield, isn't it? Yeah. About. I think especially uh, like f- for women and uh, the idea that we just all have so much baggage around money and it it's a metaphor for each of us, a very sort of deeply held metaphor that I think it took me a long time to realize what my own assumptions about money were, my own mm-hmm. fears about money. And, you know, one of, I think the interesting things about getting into a partnership with someone, you know, is when you, really deeply know another human being, which is what I've kind of come to experience through marriage, Mm -hmm. is that you really understand what someone else's different perspective is and where that comes from, the deep roots of their family, the ways that they talked about money growing up, what they observed with money growing up and how radically different it is to your own experience. Like my wife has a completely different story about money around her Mm -hmm. and a much more optimistic like point of view, which is constantly changing and evolving as we all go through life. But particularly for a creative, it's really tough because in a very, in a practical sense, so boring, but you have to make enough money to cover your, you know, healthcare and benefits and all these other things that a job would typically provide for you. Yep. And uh, as well as you are making money off your 
passion and your ideals and the things that really mean something to you. And it's very complicated to um, weigh in with that. The one piece of advice that I feel like really changed perspective for me, and I would highly recommend everyone read this book, but particularly if you're in any kind of artistry, is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, um, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love, a wonderful person. And she talks a lot about money and creativity. And her take is that we are told that our talent should give us money and that when it doesn't, we get angry at it. And so, and that of course would manifest in why can't I sell a book? Why mm-hmm. can't why didn't this book sell for more money? Why can't I make more money? But her take is no, your responsibility is to make money to support your talent. Your talent is a very precious, gentle thing that needs to be coddled and, and taken care of and allowed to have room to express itself. And if you are in the room screaming at it, why haven't you made me more money? It's not going to come out and play with you. So your role is to make money to allow yourself time and space. And so, you know, her take is like, get you know, get a part-time job, get a, be a bartender, do whatever it takes to make money, to allow yourself the time to, you know, express your creativity. And that was a great sort of pivot for me because it stopped putting the pressure on the books to sell. And it kind of put the pressure back on me in a way. It's like, well, I've just got to make this money to allow myself the time to go into my dream world and, and you know, write my stories as I like to do. And I think that is a helpful um, reframe. Yeah. I love that. I wrote that book down because I will check it out because I, I, I do feel like I've had a mindset so mind shift, um, mindset shift. What am I trying to say here? Because I started when I, I started in social media when I was 22, I believe I was 22, 23. So through the majority of my twenties, I was writing books and I was doing a blog and then started Instagram and, and all of these different things. And it's just kind of, you know, kept as the internet changes and evolves, you just have to keep adding more things to your docket. But in my twenties, I was very like, I do this for free. I'm not making any money off of this. Like, look how much I love this. I work for free. I'm amazing. And now in my thirties, I'm like, why? I'm not really sure. I mean, go me for doing it, for, for working three jobs and then also publishing four books during that time period and running a blog. Like, yay, that's awesome. But like in my thirties, I'm like, but why? Like, I mean, it's just so bizarre to look back on. And I think it's uh, really interesting what you said too about you and your wife having the different mindsets with money. Cause that's something um, I heard this recently and it was somewhere online, but people were talking about, you know, however it is that you grew up with money and how your family grew up with money. That's I mean, that's like your relationship with money. And for me personally, it was not a good relationship and I I didn't grow up well off and there was always fear about money and when the next bill was getting paid. And I've seen that spill into my adulthood and always like I'm kind of afraid of money. Like it's, I'm afraid to talk about it. I'm afraid to have it. I'm afraid I'll not use it correctly. I mean, all of these different things. And once I heard that and I started to kind of switch my mindset around the idea of money and what it is and what its purpose and all these different things, I feel like there's been a massive switch in my life. So it's just, it it was very interesting to hear you say that too, because I feel like I'm going through it right now. 
Yeah. And it's amazing when you realize the degree to which you can change your mindset around almost anything in your Mm -hmm. life. And that as people, we tell ourselves stories about our personalities, what we're capable of, what we're suited for, the spaces we belong in, the spaces we don't belong in. And a lot of those ideas can feel so set that they are just truth and reality. And as you go through, I think you realize that they're all optional ideas and you Mm -hmm. can change your mind about a lot of these different things. And I've changed my mind about aspects of my personality or, you know, what I'm capable of many times. And it's, it's for sort of frightening and freeing at the same Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's, that's so interesting. Um, Well, I definitely wanted to talk about your latest book, uh, It Had to Be You. And uh, I wanted to know just kind of in general, why was this story one that you wanted to put out there? I am so excited that this book is finally out in the world. (laughs) Uh, It Had to Be You is my first romantic comedy. I have had, I've written romantic storylines before in in my books, but I've never written a dedicated rom-com, something that would fit squarely into the romantic con- comedy genre. And it's my fifth book, my third book with Simon and & Schuster. And I, because it was something that I wrote later, when I started the process, I felt confident that I could try something a little more ambitious than I had done before. And I definitely wanted to deliver a rom-com that would do all the things that you expect from the genre, you know, make you swoon and feel good and, you know, first kisses and all those really delicious, fun things. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to try something different with the structure and certainly a more, uh, like, a sophisticated take on the whole idea. The genre is very sophisticated right now, but that was something that I wanted to do. The story is uh, five interweaving love stories that revolve around a pair of mismatched wedding planners based in New York City. And the premise is, for the past 20 years, Liv and Elliot Goldenhorn have run in love in New York, one of Brooklyn's like top wedding planning businesses, until Elliot, the husband, dies unexpectedly and even more unexpectedly leaves his half of the business to his younger blonder girlfriend savannah live the wife and savannah the girlfriend are polar opposites live is like a cynical new yorker savannah is an optimistic uh southern young woman and she didn't know elliot was married she's sort of an innocent and what starts as this could it be more different to women coming together transforms into uh well you have to read the book to find out i guess uh and so, and revolving around Liv and Savannah as this sort of central pairing are these five love stories involving like Liv and Savannah separately and um, the wedding vendors that work the wedding. So the musicians and the florists and the caterers. And I wanted to tell this story for a few reasons. I liked the idea of updating the Love Actually style narrative. Mm-hmm. I like Love Actually. Everyone likes Love Actually. But as every, you know, think piece on the internet will tell you, it hasn't really stood the test of time. It it does read now as a series of like white straight male fantasies about women with very little agency. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write a story that sort of celebrated love in all forms across sexuality, age, race, you know, gender, all these different things, and to feel more of a, a collection of modern love stories. Mm-hmm. 
Um, particularly, you know, as a queer woman, I definitely wanted to have like queer stories in there and about relationships at different stages. Like some of these people are meeting for the first time, some are friends, some are in relationships already, like more of a, a take on marriage. And I wanted to write a story that would make people feel good and that would please people and that would delight people. I like making people laugh. I like making people, um, you know, feel all of those fun, delicious feelings um, that you feel when you're falling in love and have a crush on someone. And I hope that that is the reading experience of the book. Yeah. I, I love what you said about how you still wanted to be, give what you would expect from the rom-com genre, because that was something I, I could pick up on right away. Like we still have the meet cute. We still have (laughs) the fake dating happening that, you know, we see a lot of these storylines in rom-coms, but it's definitely an updated version. And across all of the couples, I mean, we really do get a little bit of everything with each person. And I, I think that's a reason why I enjoyed the, the novel so much because, I, I feel like so many different people reading it would be able to see a part of themselves in at least one of the characters and in one of the relationships. And I think that's a really special thing because that hasn't happened for such a long time. There's always someone that's been left out for such a long time in publishing. And so I just, when I was reading it, it just kind of gave me those feels like someone reading this is going to be able to see themselves in these characters. I thought that was very awesome. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, also kind of along those same lines, you know, some of the topics that are being discussed loudly and at length these days is diversity, inclusion, women's rights, and in It Had to Be You, the characters and the couples, they're all very diverse in their own ways. And I wanted to ask you, um, and as a queer woman yourself, do you feel like the publishing industry is moving in that direction of more acceptance or inclusion? That's a great question. I would say yes, but with a fairly large caveat. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you walk into uh, let's, like the romance section of a, a bookstore, you are going to see a array of covers that will instantly indicate to you uh, that there is a lot more diverse stories on offer right now. And, of course, romance in and of itself is a massive genre with, with you know, hundreds of subsections. Like mm-hmm. it can include, you know, paranormal romance, historical romance, as well as, you know, modern contemporary, which is what I write. But I would say that all of those moves towards um, more diverse stories are coming from the creators and then the audience and then publishing. I think mm-hmm. that. It's not a matter of publishing, you know, uh, opening up the door a little wider and allowing people in. It's about creators coming to the table and demanding to be heard and no longer, you know, watering down their stories. I I wrote my first YA in my late 20s and when I told my editor I wanted to do it again and I I came out when I was 19, so I'd, you know, been in queer relationships through all through my 20s and my editor told – I sort of said, can I – write a you know a story with queer characters or with you know about two two girls in love or whatever and she was like it's okay as a subplot but I wouldn't have it as a main storyline and that was that was not that long ago you know and that story kind of feels shocking now because of the hunger for stories from 
what we call own voices, like Mm -hmm. own voices, O-W-N, is something that's relatively new. The idea that we want to hear stories from your experience, whatever that unique experience would be. And so when I think about romance, some of the biggest names in romance right now are from Diverse Voices. I love um, the writer Casey McQuiston, who is queer, non-binary. They wrote Red, White, Royal Blue, which is like a massive success a couple of years ago. I have a new book yeah. coming out this summer, which I'm really excited about, called One Last Stop. Um, the Probably the biggest name in modern romance is Jasmine Gilroy, a black writer mm-hmm. who writes about successful black women in a very sexy and accessible way. And there's, you know, I could go on, there's a wonderful writers in romance, but that's not because editors are going out there looking for them. That's because they're coming to the table and demanding to be heard. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that publishing as an industry is overwhelmingly white and straight. Like the numbers are insane. It's not, we're not even getting close to like it reflecting the amount of um, like the, the actual population. And which is why it's so important to, you know, seek out and and read voices outside of your own experience and to uh like support those those creators and i do think the audience is is hungry for those stories because they they just read so well there are such good writers and i think when we do write from our own experience the writing is so fresh and uh it it feels different i mean Everyone sort of says, write what you know, and we could kind of talk endlessly about what that actually means. But mm-hmm. what it means to me is write your your truth, your, your take on reality, even if it's messy, even if it's not what you're sort of seeing in the perfect, you know, Insta world that we live in, because all of those weird thoughts and fears and, you know, everything that makes you strange it connects you to other people because you're you were definitely not alone in those thoughts and and fears and hopes and dreams whatever they whatever they are and whenever I write really from the heart like I feel like it's always a section that my editors are like I love this like your take on this is so good and I'm like yeah well that's really what I think about it so so um yeah I am but I I am excited and it is about seeking out um these these new voices and and all of these different experiences it really does make your own experience of the world so much richer and more interesting to just hear from other people's points of view yeah it absolutely does and I I know um I I finished a book recently who the main character was from Nigeria and she you know talked a lot about uh, the culture, traditions, food, I mean, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're stuck in our houses and we can't travel, we can't go anywhere. And it just made me feel for a second, like I could step into a different world and learn something new. I'm, I'm, I also really love travel. It was actually my major in college. But one of the things that I loved so much about going to different places was learning all of these different things and seeing how different people live their lives in different parts of the world. And that's something that books can bring to us. And so when we get to experience, you know, cause we're all, we're, you know, we're only one person we're experiencing our lives, but when you get to experience someone else's lives through their writing, I just, there's something about it that's so special and so magical. And it makes me, you know, it makes me happy to hear that so many, like you said, so many creatives are are pushing to get their stories out there and, you know, self-publishing has been a thing. Now I personally self-publish my books and 
you know, um, self-publishing can now be a thing. So even more people can get their stories out there, but I'm, I'm happy that the audience is also following along. And I sincerely hope that publishing will, will get there too one day and start seeking out those creatives also. Yeah, definitely. And it is, it's, I think it's just a good thing to hear. Like if you are listening to this and you haven't written before or, you know, you're not sure if you're qualified to tell a story, I'm here to tell you that you are and Mm -hmm. anyone can get a book published and that the people who are getting published are not always the best writers. They are the ones who never gave up and that resilience will get you there before talent does. And I very strongly believe that. And it's a, it's a good thing to hang on to because you can work at talent. Like you can kind of, and I work hard (laughs) to become a good writer. Like I work with a developmental editor. I am constantly reading. I'm really trying to learn, but I'm also a really hard worker and I've experienced a lot of rejection in my career. And the, the only way forward is just to keep going and that anyone who wants to have a really a career in anything like mm-hmm. honestly but I think particularly within the arts you have to just know that you will you will write things that will never get published you will have meetings that go nowhere you will you know write screenplays that never get made you like it like the list goes on mm-hmm. and just being aware of that and knowing that you're just going to roll with those punches and you're just going to keep going and you're just going to keep learning and Try and do it with a smile on your face if you can. <laughs> so obviously I've had some, you know, breakdowns over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That will get you there. And if you're so, I mean, look, I honestly still feel every day like I'm not a good enough writer. That's just kind of how I think everyone feels in some ways. But you just have to kind of keep going and surround yourself with good people and you will, you will get there. I, I really believe that. Yeah, I believe that too because, you know, when it comes to actually putting out a book, I mean, there's always a team around you, even as someone who's in self-publishing, I work with an editor, I work with a proofreader, I work with beta readers. There's a team where I don't just write a book and be like, that's it. That's right. going out there, <laughs> you know? And my first drafts are like dumpster fires is what we say yeah. these days. But like my beta reader, readers will come back and be like, um, so yeah, like this part maybe not (laughs) I'm like okay (laughs) you know I mean um I think there's like I think maybe with social media we see like perfectionism all the time and we see people's perfect lives all of the time and you know maybe that filters into our thoughts and into our career but yeah especially with something like writing books you will often build a team around you to make sure that you are putting out something great but it's up to you to stay resilient on it and stay pushing through the rejections, the hard times, the writer's blocks, the all of the things. So I think that was really great what you said. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, I saw, like speaking of kind of like the publishing process, because I saw a post on your Instagram and you were talking about how long the process is of publishing a novel in traditional publishing. And some of the questions that I get the most from listeners is that they really love hearing about the actual publishing process and kind of behind the scenes. So I was wondering, could you share more about what a timeline to publishing actually looks like? Yes. Um, This book in particular had a very long timeline. And so I don't freak out (laughs) 
when you hear this, when you hear kind of the machinations of this story because it is a little unusual, but in some ways it's sort of not um, because I don't think we really do hear these behind the scenes stories. Like often a writer will be like, yeah, obviously there was a first draft, obviously there was a second draft, like we mm-hmm. sort of know that. But this book came from, uh, so let me, I'll back up. I had The Regulars was my first book with Simon & Schuster and I, as that, what happens is a book goes into production about a year before it comes out. So it's sort of out of your hands and going through copy edits and the covers being designed and all those sort of things. So The Regulars had gone into production in about 2015 and I started work on a new book and I was really excited to have my follow-up be a, it was Still a story about young women, but not in the modern day. It was set in the 1920s. And I fell in love with this uh, Clara Bow, who was a silent film star at the time. And I did like a lightly edited version of her life and gave her a best friend. And it was a story, sort of 1920s sapphic Hollywood, really fun and about women in film. I spent a year and a half working on this book. I went, you know, to LA multiple times, a couple of times to do research, went through a first and second draft with an editor and was like a hundred percent sure this was going to be my soft, more novel that would, you know, buy me a house. (laughs) And my editor passed on it. And I'd been working full-time, more or less full-time on that book for a year and a half. Like imagine how, you know, frustrated you get when you lose an email you've been working on for an hour. This was a year and a half of my life. Mm. And my, after we'd been on submission with her for a month, my editor called me and was like, right, well, she has some concerns. And what do you think about setting it in the present day? And it was the whole thing was this historical novel set intricately mapped into the silent film era, which I had like endlessly researched to make it a hundred percent perfect. And was like, no, I can't set it in modern day. You crazy. And she was like, okay, we'll come in and pitch some new ideas. So I had a weekend to get over that and come into the office with two new ideas that would keep me on a publishing track of publishing once every two years. And it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever had to do, like let go of that book, come up with two new concepts and come in with like a smile on my face and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, that didn't work. No worries. Here's some two new ideas. Um, and one of those ended up being the bucket list, which was the book I read after the regulars. And one of those was the premise for it had to be you. So I first I did the bucket list, uh, which is a story about a young woman who's diagnosed with the BRCA1 gene mutation and has to decide whether or not to get a vasectomy. And to help her make that, that decision, she has a, a sexy boob bucket list of all the things she wants to do with and for her boobs before <laughs> a possible surgery. So I read that book and then turned to it had to be you. I, in 2018, I did an artist residency and started mapping out like an outline. I like to work from an outline. And over the course of that year, worked on 25,000 word submission, about a quarter of the book. And in the fall of 2018, we sold that submission to my editor. And at drinks afterwards with my agent, I could tell that she wasn't really on board with the work and Mm. I just said look just give it to me straight do you like this submission do you think it's going to sell and she was like no and no (laughs) and um I was like okay and that's kind of one of those moments where and this is what I mean by being resilient it's like we'd already sold the book so I could be like you know what I'm I'm good I'm good with the decision I made let's just move forward with this 
I was like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, what don't you like? Like, give it to me. And so she's like, look, I just think the tone's wrong. It's too dark. It's too spiky. I don't think readers are going to connect with the main character. Like, even though my editor and border, she's like, I, that's just my take. So I wrote those notes up, sent them to my editor and said, look, this is what Al- like my agent's name is Alison. This is what Alison thinks. What do you think? And my editor read it and said, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with those notes. Hmm. I was like, okay, start again. So oh. 2019, I did another artist residency. I kept the premise. The premise was always the same, like two mismatched wedding planners, but the tone was really different. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have all of the interconnecting love stories. It was much more focused on just the main character. So I did another, I was at another residency, luckily, and was able to start again on a new outline and and kind of piece together what the book ended up being, which was these interconnecting five love stories with a much more heartfelt, hopeful tone, more comedy, more romance. The original version of the novel was very, uh, very dark, which was actually kind of more in line with the tone of what was popular then. But my mm. agent was right because it's not popular now because we've yeah. gone through COVID. Like people are not really looking for dark, spiky takes on love. They're looking for more hopeful, heartfelt takes on love. Absolutely. So over 2019, I wrote the first and second draft over also planning and having my wedding myself. <sighs> 2019 was a big year. And then finished up the edits and went into production in March of 2020. So just as everything was changing, I was like, finishing everything up and sending it on. And then it's in production for just over a year, which is another round of copy edits um, and more getting into like the marketing and publicity side of things, like coming together with like a plan, like, you know, being introduced to my team, uh, gearing up to where we are now, May 2020. So that's a long time like that. And that is, I, I would say a little unusual, but what is typical? I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. That is all my, my face is like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, just hearing that, but also hearing even selling a book and then still having the feedback be like, but no, it's not, it's not right yet. I'm just like, yeah. wow, that's really intense. <laughs> Cause I feel, I mean, you said like you were at drinks, like I'm assuming like celebrating. Yay. This is exciting. Oh, wait. <laughs> Now I got to go back and start all over again. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, it was oh. it was tough. Like and every, like when you're working, even the like the submission was polished. You know, it had gone mm-hmm. through edits and and I definitely could have just said, and she's like, it's up to you, you know. And I could have said, we're just going to move forward. This is the book I want to write, and she that would have been okay. But you know, you have an agent for a reason. They mm-hmm. are they're not, you know, they should be your North Star, like you should listen to their advice. And if you don't listen to their advice, you you shouldn't be paying them 10%, you know, like, that. Right. So like, I, I know that I put my faith in my agent and that what she says goes, basically. Yeah. I, I love my agent. She's wonderful. Oh, that's, uh, that's so great. How, how did you find your agent? Did you just like send out the query letters or how did that happen? I have actually never queried for an agent. So when I first moved to New York, I was working on a YA. Ultimately, didn't end up selling. So I've written two full books that didn't sell. Mm -hmm. Most writers have at least one manuscript unsold in their drawer, if not a lot more. And I was working on a YA and I was just introduced to a friend of a friend who was a new agent starting out. And I we met for coffee. She was in New York and... 
I, I didn't know anyone and we just kind of met for a coffee every couple of months, every th- say three months over the year of writing that book. And I would talk to her about it and she would kind of give me advice. And then at the end of that year, it was sort of obvious. I was like, well, do you want to be my agent? <laughs> like, do you want to mm-hmm. this book and try and sell it? And she was like, sure. So that was sort of my way into my first agent. She didn't sell that book, but that that was not because she was not a good agent. That's because that book wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't, and I will tell you now, I did not read enough YA. Mm-hmm. I was I had a lot of assumptions about YA, and I thought it would be like I liked the space, but I really had no understanding of the space. I I thought I knew it. Like I'm like, oh, how hard can this be? It's teenagers, you know, whatever. I used to be a teenager, mm-hmm. and that is not a good way to go into any genre. And I think a lot of writers sort of do this. Like it's like rom com. How hard is it? I could write a rom com, but like and. Once you get into any genre, it doesn't matter what it is, literary fiction, true crime, like it's very sophisticated and there's a lot of people already working very at a high level at that space and you need to be like reading them and understanding them and in attempt to kind of be in that space as well. So that YA didn't sell, but then I got an agent out of it and then I wrote another uh, YA that was like this very (laughs) – ambitious uh teen sci-fi action adventures set in the future it was all about like robots and artificial intelligence and climate change like a cli-fi thing and it took me like three years to write that story and we sold it for seven thousand dollars that was the book I wrote before I had my like okay I gotta get out of the basement here what's going on (laughs) but um but then so my agent um sold the regulars which is a book I wrote after that but then she left the business and oh, wow. moved to west to the west coast, and and this sort of happens like one day you just get a phone call, which is like, I got some news, <laughs> and so I had to change agents, and I and what happens like if you've already sold a book and you have a if you, your agent has sold a book, I needed to kind of move on to a new agent to have like a representative throughout the whole process of getting published because your agent is sort of with you every step of the way through all production and publicity marketing all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. but they don't get the commission because the agent who sold the book gets the commission so when my new agent stepped in she took like she basically shepherded me through an entire book launch that she didn't make any money off and um which is a you know publishing is the longest of the long game like you were really looking down the line on it and you know I told her I wanted to write a million books and be a bestseller and so she sort of took a chance on me I suppose and then we've been together for um books since then wow oh I feel like you have such interesting stories from (laughs) from publishing I mean I can't imagine having that call saying oh well, yeah. I'm done now. Like, what? <laughs> leaving New York and I'm leaving publishing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad. I mean, it seemed like things, you know, have, have worked out well, which is great. Um, but that is just, that's so fascinating to hear. I just, I, I, and I know my listeners really enjoy it too. And it's a thing that, that I get the most feedback on, but I also find all the stories just fascinating because everybody's is different. <laughs> yeah. So it's just so fun to, to hear. And I, um, I think sometimes, you know, especially with like what I do, even on on YouTube and on social media, it, it's like people think that they need to be exactly like another person or follow like their same formula or follow their sta- same steps. And it's like everyone's path is going to be so different. <laughs> so don't try to just do one. Like you just got to 
do yourself and and see what happens. So yeah, um, I mean, the crazy thing about publishing is there is no job description for anything that like, so there's no job description for me. Like I make it up. I make up my days. I make up what I'm doing every day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, and there's very little, in a way, there's very little accountability. Like I sign a contract, I'm legally obligated to send something in. But beyond that, no one's holding my hand. I think that, I think that the thing that why people get so fixated on query letters and agents is because ultimately you're looking for someone to help you, which I totally understand. Like it is so isolating being a novelist um, Mm -hmm. because it's just you. You're not like a member of a band or, you know, something where there's like a group of you together or a team. And, and so I think that people really fixate on wanting to find an agent because firstly, yes, you do need to find an agent, but I think what this, this sort of psychological need is to feel supported And, um, you know, your agent will do that. They will support you. But part of it is just accepting like, gosh, you're just on your own, but you definitely can create a community around you. I, when I sold the regulars, I didn't know any novelists in New York. And I was also changing genres from YA to what we call women's fiction, which I really hate, but like Mm -hmm. it's fiction. (laughs) Um, so I started a salon for authors. I cold emailed people (laughs) from the internet and I got some address, like email addresses from my editor, and just said, "Hi, I'm 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 Georgia. I have a I have a book coming out. I don't know anyone. Do you want to come over and have some wine and cheese with me? Um, and you know, get a little group together." And I started that in 2013 or something. And that's that group of writers has been meeting monthly until COVID. Oh so gosh. there were, and people come and go, you know, it's not always the same faces, mm-hmm. but it's sort of just known that if you're an author in New York city, me and my friend, Amy Papel, we co-host it. Now we s- switch apartments that you can come to these little gatherings and talk about, talk about the publishing process, you know, complain about whatever you want to complain about and talk about writing. And, and it's, you know, that was a really great way to connect with people. And that's something that anyone can do. And I think is really good to do, especially in an industry, if you are kind of necessarily separated from your colleagues in a way, um, you can, you can proactively create a community. It's, it is in your power to do that. Absolutely. That is something I so firmly believe in. And it's something that I have been working on so hard myself. I had something about to be announced (laughs) right before COVID. And I was like, oh man, but something that I was hoping to help bring, especially on the social media side of things, we we do, we're alone. You know, I talk to myself all day, to my <laughs> camera and to my microphones and it is very isolating. And I, I did used to work, you know, a corporate traditional job and I was like, man, I miss potlucks and we all would like bring something like those were the days, like we just don't have that anymore. And, um, it really has been something that I've been proactively working on and hope once we can see each other again, um, to get back to it. But I I love that you said that I found that to be so inspiring that even if you are, you know, even if you do a job where you're, like you said, you're choosing to have this more like isolating job, it doesn't have to be like, you can put the work in and make it so it's not. So Oh, I just love that. Well, 
thank you so much for coming on. Um, this was this is just so inspiring. I had such a great time. Uh, do you want to share with the listeners where they could find you or pick up a copy of their book of your book? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find me. I'm on Instagram at Georgia uh, at Georgia Lou Clark. That's the platform I'm on the most. My website's georgiaclark.com. I have a bunch of really fun virtual events and Instagram lives happening all throughout my pub week. So you can find my event schedule on my website or on on social and Carmen and say hi to me. And the book is available. All good bookstores are sold. Of course, I don't care where you buy it from, but if you Mm -hmm. want to win the best student award, you can buy it full price from an independent bookstore that is always the best way to support not only your local bookstore or mm-hmm. um, but as well as authors and bookshop.org is a really handy site that can easily connect and ship you a book from your uh, local independent bookseller. Amazing. All right. Well, that all of that will be in the show notes. And thank you again for coming on to talk. This was so great. Thank you. All right. Another big thank you to Georgia for coming on the podcast, for being my final guest of season four. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation or took something away from it. I always have so much fun interviewing authors and I've been working on interviewing, uh, lining up some interviews for season five, but I also plan for quite a bit of the next season to just be one-on-ones like I did in seasons one and two, just because I feel like I have a lot to talk about right now, kind of specifically focused on my move from Iowa to Vegas and kind of how it was to move on my own and move with a dog and drive across the country and set things up alone and all of those things. So that's kind of what I'm planning to have a season five be focused on. So again, if you're not following me on other social platforms, I would definitely recommend it because I will be sharing the date that the podcast is going to come back for that. But and I will have all of Georgia's links down below. I highly recommend reading It Had to Be You. And it was so much fun to chat with her about her journey and especially about this book because I really took so much away from it. And I, I just thought it was such a great read. So I hope that you will check it out. Thank you to Georgia. Thank you for being a listener. If you enjoyed this one, if you want to follow along the podcast, free and review if you can, wherever you listen to podcasts or just share that you are listening to it. That always brings me so much joy and helps out the podcast so much. Other than that, though, thank you for listening and I will see you in season five.